Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and, and Wanders and Melisander for the Accidental Aliens, and I'm a little bit sick. You're a little bit sick, and why don't you, and, and I was going to say, why don't you tell people why you're not drinking anything, but that's why. <laughs> you have a couple reasons why you're not drinking anything, yeah, right? Yeah, well, I am drinking tea. Uh, nice mince decaf tea. Uh, I don't want to be wired. It's nighttime over here. And um, yeah, I had knee surgery a few um, couple of days ago. And yesterday I developed a bit of a cough. And then today it feels like a full on cold. And on top of that, yesterday I busted one of my stitches in my knee. And um, it was bleeding everywhere. And so we had to change the bandages and everything. And, uh, you know, so uh, but I went and got a checkup today. They're like, yeah, you popped a stitch. Um, it looks like it healed, like it healed overnight. Thank goodness. Like we taped it really well and everything. So um, my girlfriend did a bang up job wrapping me up. And uh, hey, I'm alive. I'm here. All right. You did it. You did it. I yeah. Did so it. for me, I, I'm also fighting a little bit of something. We'll get into this. But, um, but there have been a couple times where I have walked into a hotel room. And immediately the air is blowing and I'm like, oh, I feel like crap immediately mm. from the air. And uh, when I went to finish the novel, which we'll get into with my first thing, uh, I felt that from the moment I went in and I, I felt sort of weird. It, it went on and off there. But then by the time I came home, it, it stuck with me and it still stuck with me a few days later here. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a sinus thing. Um, I don't think I sound that bad, but I do feel a little like. Uh, congested in the nose and uh, a little bit of it drains. I have to like sleep with my head on two pillows, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Today today feels about as bad as it's felt, but I am uh, pounding vitamin C. We're going to see. I just had some of this beer and it tasted pretty good. Um, okay. I'm just doing dead and dead and dead again because I wanted something strong. Um, but we will we will see where that goes after. So I, I'm, I'm, I may not drink all of this. I may. Uh, and we'll just keep on rolling here. Yeah, mine is a bit of a head and body cold, like a head cold and body aches. So it's, yeah. it's not great. Not enjoying it. Uh, the combo pack yeah. of losing some extra blood and everything and, you know, combining that with the headache and body aches. It's kind of like, man, what a recipe for disaster. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Hopefully in a couple and of days so it'll kind of pass and, you know, I'll be all right. Yeah, and yours sounds like it's sort of, you know, behind your eyes and in your ears, and maybe your head's a little sloshy, yeah. which is never fun. No. You know, again, for me, it's more just like in my sinuses, around my nose, and behind my cheeks, and that's roughly it. You know, um, I don't feel good when I'm sitting around thinking, like I was just watching sports, and I'm like, ah, I sort of feel crappy. And then, but once I start talking, I feel better. So my hunch is that the combination of however much beer I have and just talking my way through this podcast at least will keep me cranking, keep me cranking right now. But uh, but with that, hey, aside from almost bleeding out and catching a cold, uh, what was the first thing that you did this week? Uh, the, the big thing for the month is finishing Drawtober and finishing it early. So I actually was working ahead, like I've talked about, and I managed to bang out all of the pages by the 22nd. So um, it was a great feeling of finishing finishing up the day that actually was the last piece that I had to do was the 26th. So if you go through my feed, you'll see that is a very involved piece. It's the most involved of all of the days, basically. You have five characters in there and, um, you know, getting like the right perspective and everything. And I'm really happy with that piece. I actually had to lay it out a couple of times. And I was really happy with the second layout. And I was like, wow, this just, you know, 
this is really what I, I was looking for. And, um, yeah, so I was able to knock those all out in, in record time, honestly. That's the earliest I've ever finished the Drawtober. And I'm really happy with how it came out. And when all was said and done, it was nine pages. So, um, and like the last day being panel one of day 10. So, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's just call it nine. And then, uh, you know, I sent those over to Ed afterwards. And I said, hey, man, let's uh, get cracking on the rest of this. You know, like we talked a little bit where we want the story to go. So he's going to finish writing that up. And, um, you know, once I finish with Second Shift 13, then I'll hop back on Wanderers and knock that out as well. Nice, nice. I mean, here we are. You you made it through. It doesn't quite have the ceremony of the last couple Drawtobers, does it? Because you're not walking away with a finished issue. But I also think it's a sensible evolution of how Drawtober is working, where you're not hell-bent on doing a, you know, a, a full comic, because a full comic would basically mean one-page spreads for the entire thing. And right. you've already done that twice, so yeah, I mean, it all makes sense to me, right? Like, yeah. now you're sort of evolving it into just, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm just going to use it as a way to jumpstart my own comic and my own IP. Yeah, um, is, uh, the issue 12, which was 2021, that one actually had a lot more panel work than the 2020. The 2020, there was a bunch of single-page splash images, double-page splash images. There was a few um, panels, panel pages in there, but not as much mm-hmm. as 2021. 2021 had a significant amount more, and which helps because there's 31 days in the month of October, and you don't want to release a 31-page comic book. You know, it's just... It, yeah. Honestly, it's just not cost effective. It costs way more money to print that many pages. And so it's better if you can condense that a bit. And the 2021, I think, was the perfect amount. And like you said, it is the evolution of my Drawtober project. So I'm happy that I was able to knock out half of an issue because, like you said, it jumpstarts the IP, it jumpstarts the storyline, keeps it rolling. And, um, but next year, I'm excited because it's just going to be something completely different. And so every year, I'm kind of like, evolving it and just changing it up, making it a little different than the year before. So um, it was fun to do. I, I'm very happy with what I came up with there. Just like the other previous Drawtobers, there's things that I look back on the panels and go, I need to adjust this. I need to adjust that. So, um, but you know, if you pick up the comic book, you'll see where the adjustments were made. You can always go to my profile right at the top of my Instagram page. There's uh, folders there. All of my Drawtober projects are in the folder. So you can look at every single day as well as like the second shift covers so, um, yeah, if you go to my IGs at Scott Loss, you'll see all that stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you want a detailed breakdown of how he turned the difference between the Drawtober and the finished comic into a thing, you can go back and listen to season one where he talks a lot about that because his first Drawtober project actually had an ash can of the original Drawtober panels and then the finished comic and then a way for you to kind of play a game and see how many changes you could do and it gave you like helpful hints on catching the differences so yeah all the all right there if you have not listened uh, as part of our own archive our now extensive archive two years it is yeah man we've been doing this a while it's it's kind of awesome yeah doing it yeah exactly exactly okay so for me my first thing this week uh, as advertised Much like Scott ended a month-long journey, I ended a close-to-five-year journey, and I finished my novel. So that was done. Um, I don't know what else to say, you know? Like, uh, how about this? Aside from possibly catching some gunk from the Lake Arrowhead resort and spa in the room, the big finish was, in fact, big. The actual time it took me to audio listen 
to the entire novel was was 13 hours of dedicated work. Oh, wow. That's how long it took. So how long is your novel? It averaged... Um, well, I go by words instead of pages because page count varies. That's what everybody does. So it's almost exactly 70,000 words. It's like a little over 70,000 words. In terms of pages, that's going to come out to somewhere between 280 and 320. Okay. So it is a it is a good length novel. It is not a particularly long novel, but it's also not particularly short. It's in that it's generally in the sweet spot that publishers and agents like for first novelists. Um, because much like you just talked about pages of October, first time novelists that submit manuscripts over a hundred thousand words, it's kind of like, Hmm. So you're saying that we need to invest this kind of print cost in your debut, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It, it, it doesn't necessarily work against you, but the sweet spot is between about 65 and 80, something like that okay. for a first time novelist. So, um, so yeah, man. I did it. I had to vary up my setting a lot. You know, I'd I'd stay in my hotel room, which had this amazing view of a corner of Lake Arrowhead. I'd go through a little chunk of pages. I'd stand up and take a break. I'd go out to the balcony. I'd just soak in that very nice chilly air. It was between about 35 and 53 Fahrenheit uh, while I was there. And, uh, and then I'd get tired of that setting, so I'd go down to the coffee shop, did a little bit in the coffee shop, went to a restaurant, did a little bit in the restaurant, and then just kept on moving around and finding new settings to do all this stuff. And uh, yeah, and then after that, I was done. I, uh, I busted open the celebratory scotch that I had bought two years ago, and I've been listening to funk music ever since. Um, this is just a random thing, but well, okay, let me, let me, let me hold on that. Let me hold on that. Because then after that, I, I did it. I finished around 1.35 or something on the Monday, and I was able to get late check-in until 3, which is super rare for a, that late of a check-in in a hotel. But then I went out, and I you know I did a bunch of mini celebrations to myself, right? Like I went to the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory and got some chocolate and shoved it in my face. <laughs> then, I went to the, then I went to a restaurant and had a celebratory beer and, and some food. And then I just, you know, kind of soaked it in. And then I drove back to my house and, you know, slept and enjoyed that moment. And then the next day, you know, woke up and submitted to my first five agents on my agent list. Oh, wow. And then the next day I, I submitted to my second five agents. So, hey, now I just wait. Now it's nothing but waiting. Um, a couple of those agents. So what I did with my my kind of stratification of the agents was I went to sort of the biggest agents that represent the biggest or that tend to get deals with the biggest publishing houses first. So, you know, you could call those like the stretch schools if you were applying to college. Um, so the first five were sort of like big agents that get big deals. The second five were people that are a little more in my genre. Um, when you look at that, you know, you're seeing people that like represent horror and in their agent bios, they say they want good horror. And now I just again, it's just waiting. You know, almost all of them say if if you don't hear from us in four to six weeks, uh, we're not interested. And and that's it. Like that is the no. We've talked about that in comic publishing. It's really important to understand. You generally don't get no's. A no is simply they don't respond to you. Um, so. I'm very comfortable with this period, you know, like I did all the work I need to do and now it's just time to wait. And, uh, and what it means is for the next, you know, almost six weeks, you know, like I'm pretty, I'm pretty grounded about 
my expectations for this book. Of course, it would be great if it was just, you know, agents wanted it and publishers wanted it and there was a bidding war and it's in every Barnes and Noble in the world and every airport and all that. But, you know, you got to be realistic about your first novel, too, especially in a genre like horror. You know, that's not one of the bigger genres right now. Oh, it's not? What's what's the big uh, genre right now? I felt like it was horror. I will tell you offline. Okay. Yeah. How many, yeah, there's, uh, there's how many days were you up in Lake Arrowhead? Just one. Just the one day. Uh, I went up. I went up. Yeah. I went up in the morning um, and then spent some time just in like, you know, a coffee shop, a restaurant. And then I was supposed to check into my hotel room at four, but they didn't have it ready till 530. And then they were telling me, oh, yeah, because the person ahead of you had a late checkout. I'm like, can I have a late checkout on that note? Because I was going to ask for it anyway. And then they gave me the three. So, yeah, I drove up at like, you know, 11 o'clock on on the Sunday because I took some time for myself and then checked out of the hotel at whatever time on Monday and then was home by, you know, 7 o'clock p.m. Monday or something like that. Something something pretty, pretty relaxed. Um, so, yeah, man, it was it was great. And uh, and that's really the end of part one. So, yeah, novel's done and it's sent off. And now it's just now it's just waiting. Nothing but that. How did you uh, find all of these agents to send your your book to, your script to? That's a great question. So for, for novels, the thing that all novelists should do when they're ready to sell their books and just get a feel for the market is subscribe to Publishers Marketplace, which is how I found the agents. Um, there are Actually, there are a couple interesting ways to find agents. Publishers Marketplace is the best because you can search by agents, you can search by deals, you can search by authors. If you say, like, I want to be represented by the person that represents Stephen King, you can look that up. You, best of luck, but you can look that up. So that's that's a definite great resource for all that stuff. Publishers Marketplace, which is just a website. Another option, which it doesn't get used as much anymore, is you could try Twitter hashtags. There was one that I had heard of called hashtag agent wish list, where agents supposedly list the books that they're looking for. But like I tried that for the hell of it, and it's like <laughs> one tweet every three months, something like that. It's it's pretty weak. So uh I, I believe that used to be a big thing, but for whatever reason, it's sort of not happened anymore. There's another way to do it that I'm just not aware of it. So I have a three-tiered strategy that's going to probably take the better part of the next six months, depending on how long it goes and trying to find a home for this novel. Um, you know, if it gets picked up by a publishing house, then maybe it'll come out in 2023. If I publish it through a smaller publisher or, you know, end up going a different route, then that'll definitely happen in 2023. But it's all a matter of time. You know, the novel's done and now I just sit it on ice and nobody's going to read it. And I'm just going to try to find a home for it. And then hopefully people will be able to read it sometime in 2023 uh, in one of wherever it could end up being. Right on, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Huge accomplishment. Uh, you know, so many years of your life dedicated to doing this, and it's great to know that you finished that project and you're you're able to move on and and start your next one. Uh, yeah, coming up with novel November here. Um, yeah. So my second thing, it was the same night that I finished Drawtober. I still had some I still had some juice, so I ended up staying up for a few more hours. I ended up knocking out three more panels of Second Shift Thirteen. So I just mm. got right back up on the horse. I had already started Second Shift 13 prior to Drawtober, and so I had to take a break to, to do that. And so it was nice to return to Second Shift. And, um, you know, it's just so different than Wanderers. Wanderers, is, everything is organic looking. Everything is like natural nature for the most part. You know, there are some structures in there, but the more I draw this book, the less I use rulers. And, um, you know, just having that organic feel. And then you return to Second Shift, and it's like, 
you know, apartment buildings, cars, you know, rooftops, everything like that. So it's just such a different vibe than, than Wanderers. And um, it's refreshing. And it's also difficult, you know, and that's that's what comes with making comics is, you know, it's not all just fun. You know, it's just, oh, yeah, I forgot I have to draw this car. I have to draw this building. I have to draw the interior of this apartment. You know, you have to get these weird angles and and everything like that. And, um, you know, it's it's a bit of a struggle going from such a natural line to a more constructed line, you know, Uh, but it is fun. You know, I've. Um, that page that I did three panels on, it was a lot of character work. So there wasn't a ton of backgrounds needed. And that's why I was able to move through that so quickly. And I actually finished that page in like record time. I think it was five panels. I think I finished in six hours and, uh, onto the next one. I just started jumping around to the other pages, any page, you know, like I was in such a easy mindset that um, I had to look through the pages and see what was already done, like how much work I had already done on these other pages. And there were a couple where a lot of the construction was already there. So I started, you know, messing with those and jumping around a bit. And so hopefully, you know, in in a week or so, I'm going to be able to knock out some pages just with all this whittling down of these these panels. And, um, you know, it's not one of those things where you just work on one panel till that one's finished. That's my standard method. This one, there's just so much going on as far as uh, the city goes that it's going to take a lot of effort. So I, I know I'm going to be hopping around a lot and just it's going to be one of those things where I finish three or four panels that were really difficult all around the same time, you know, because it's just whittling mm. away at them. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I mean, and that's that goes into your Slack method, right? Like there, uh, like like uh, Gary was talking about actually. So I did watch the entirety of you on Gary's YouTube show. Okay, and uh, and you know this dials into something he said, right? Which was the idea of a a key element of the slack method is that at some point and hey you even went with the peewee snakes analogy so i was happy with that at some point you are you are banking on yourself to be ready to do the snakes and uh something that you've never mentioned you never called it out but you did call it out there is it always happens that way you know i you know like i have the adage of keep on ramming your head against a wall because it's going to give and I think for you, there's a key foundational point there of the slack method, which is more of a trust me, there's going to be a day where you want to do the hard stuff or you're ready to do the hard stuff because it just works out that way. Yep. Yeah. The more you're working on that page and and, you know, another thing about doing the slack method, let's say during your whole project, you don't feel like working on the hard stuff and that's all you're left with at the end. Well, the benefit is once you finish that, you're done with the book. So you're more motivated to finish the book. So regardless of how difficult it is, it's the last thing you have to do. And everyone wants to cross that cross that finish line. No one's going to fall down, you know, on the 23rd mile. They're just going to be like, no, there's only a little bit more left to go. Let's do it. Which sort of brings us into my second thing. And that is so I'm going to I'm going to skip ahead to this thing that I thought of, which was by being done with the novel, the first day I wasn't doing it, it really brought into focus how hard I was racing for the finish line with the novel on my own. You know, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's worth mentioning again. I was doing double work every day for the last 30 days. I was waking up at, 
you know, 5.30, 5.40 in the morning so that I can make sure like either my kid got to school or my wife was able to take my kid to school or at least to the train station that takes her to school because I wanted to wake up that early so I could get the back to front edit done in the morning. So then in the evening, I could do all these other fixes that I wanted to do, which I talked about. I believe I gave the analogy of like, if he was a painter, then I got to name the paintings and understand all that. You know, just this character work. I was doing two things every single day. And you don't realize it when you're doing it. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And it's like, wow. You know, not not only not only is the second novel going to be easier once I get into it because I'm only doing single work. This is really easy for this week, you know, so right now we're recording this before Novel November starts, and uh, I'm just kind of taking a break. I'm doing some things, you know, uh, but that does lead into more of the second thing, which is I was able to stay away from a novel for roughly 24 hours before I was like, nope, fuck it. After 24 hours, I was just like, it's time for me to get into the second novel. Um, when I had one of my layoffs before, I had done a lot of character writing and, and some other things. So I had about 35 pages already of just notes. Not all of it's going to make it the second novel to the second novel, but it was great to read it. And uh, so, yeah, I had 24 hours where I was just like, nope, don't want to do anything. And then at that point, it was it changed. And I just said, hey, I already want to get into this second novel and go from there. So I did. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of feeling that way right now. Um, very similar to finishing the Drawtober. Like, even though I jumped right into Second Shift 13, like, since the surgery, and, like, I don't know, maybe it's just me being under the weather, I don't want to do anything. I, I draw a little mm-hmm. bit, and like you, where you're like, if I think too hard, that's when stuff goes bad, right? I feel the same way. When I'm drawing, my headache t- uh, tends to come in, my body aches seem to kick in. And it's just like, oh, I think I just need to take a break, you know, and and I have been working crazy hard, you know, as I get into more stuff. Um, so I am pushing things. And honestly, I pushed my myself like with my recovery, because the first day I was walking around with just one crutch, like the next morning I was like, you know, making breakfast. Like I was just doing the shit that I normally do. And honestly, when I popped my stitch, it was at night. And so I don't know if it was all leading up to that like me pushing myself too much is what made me pop the stitch or if it was just a weird fluke where I was sitting and I adjusted and it popped so uh, I'm trying Mm -hmm. to listen to my body and like take it easy for once and and just try not to be the workhorse and uh, relax so sometimes you just need that yeah yeah totally totally and um, so yeah back to my second thing I I'm now doing some formative work for the second novel I am I bought some books that I'm flipping through to give myself an idea of the world. I have a pretty good loose idea of the book. Um, And I I believe, again, it's worth reviewing if, in fact, I have talked about it before. But I'm a believer, at least for this novel, that this novel... I, I get a feeling that every novel, every large piece of work, in some way, is going to be an answer to something about that previous piece of work. So I say that because this second novel, here are the things the second novel is responding to the first novel on. One, I burned a few draft. Well, I burned a draft or two because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing because it was the first novel I'd ever done. But I also burned a draft or two because I focused too hard on plot. Everything was always about plot. When I thought of this novel... It all came down to the setting and the plot with sort of a fixed end on what I wanted the plot to be. 
and character got worked in over those next few drafts. This second novel is a response to that because I have a loose idea of the plot. I've talked about the video game world a whole lot, but I really want everything to be character. Like, I don't know how this book is going to go. I'm going to write it, and I'm going to try to let the characters figure out how this book is going to go, and we're going to go through Grand Theft Auto, and sometimes we're going to hit on the missions, and sometimes we're just going to walk around and punch prostitutes. I'm not sure exactly <laughs> how this is going to go, you know, but but the point is the characters need to figure that out, you know, and um, that's where we're going to go with it. So I'm excited for that because it's very much going to be a response to something I wanted to change about the first novel. And then a couple other things are going to be responses to the first novel. The first novel, I think, is much more atmospheric in its language. It's darker, it's quieter. And this one's going to be a bit more uh, bouncy and perhaps uh, wry in its humor. And it's going to be a lot more fun. Um, so are you sticking with the I'm, same genre? Uh, it is, I would say it's horror, but it's not as horror, if that makes sense. More suspense? It is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's like, again, I'll tell you what it is offline, and then maybe next week we can figure out what the fuck to even call it. I would say it's suspense horror in 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 the vein of, like, Stephen King has written horror films. Plenty of horror books, I mean. Plenty of horror books. But he's also written books that have elements of horror, even though I wouldn't necessarily call them horror. One such example to me is 112263 which is a time travel story. But there are these moments when he does some horror shit and it gets creepy as fuck. You know, he's he's not trying to, he just naturally is good at writing these dramatic things and these horror elements. So I see the second book as more of that, more of, you know, suspense. Um, it's historical fiction and it's suspense and it's going to have plenty of elements of horror, make no mistake, but it's not just pure horror novel the way the first one is. Okay. Um, and I'm really, really excited to get to work on it. And again, I'm I'm just doing my best to feed my brain. I'm reading all kinds of shit um, and I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready on, on November 1st so I can get down with the exploration of this first draft of the second novel. Nice, man. Nice. Very good. Yeah. Um, yeah, did you have anything else? Yeah, I have two more things. I have. Do you have anything else, or should I just combo these two? Double up. Yep, all right, go for sounds it. good. Uh, all right, so commissions are underway. That's something that I was definite about wanting to do while I was in recovery. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to make a schedule for myself, a way to balance everything. So artists out there, if you are creating your own comics and you're a working artist doing commission work, freelance work, um, you got to find a balance for everything. So what I have been doing is one commission a day. And so one of my clients, he does the pro wrestling loot. So every day I have been drawing a figure for him. And as soon as I knock that out, that allows me to go back and do whatever I want. If I want to start the next commission, then I can do that. Or if I want to hop on my pages, I can do that as well. So uh, I've been making sure to knock out a figure a day. I'm up to five which is great. They're, they're moving along. I'm getting better at it. I'm getting way better at these turnarounds. And, um, you know, it's kind of fun. It's just so different than drawing comic books. It's just like, okay, mm -hmm. I just got to draw this one guy, make sure he looks like himself as a toy, and uh, do these turnarounds and do them to the best of your ability and, and you know, move through them. So um, it's a nice nice little side income there. It's just nice. It's, uh, you know, keeping me afloat. 
and uh, I'm pretty happy doing them. So, and then I am staying on track. I'm able to knock these out anywhere between three to four and a half hours, depending like how detailed the character is and what they have going on on their gear. And then uh, I move back on to the pages, you know, and uh, I start whittling away at those. Nice. You're like, since I have to do one of these every day today, I'm going to draw myself like one of your French girls. <laughs> yes. Come on, Jack, look at my boobies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In fairness, Scott just sent me some kind of weird Arnold Schwarzenegger over uh, Kate Winslet's face in Titanic. So it's it's quite funny. <laughs> but uh, that, that was one thing. You said you had one more, right? Oh, yes. And then the the other thing is I'm working with Mike Perkins now. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. So um, I hit up Keith and I was like, you know, he's been talking so glowingly about Mike for forever, basically, since we've been doing this pod. And the thing that really made me go, OK, I need to add another level to making comics. Like, what can I do to really make things tighten up? And what put me over the edge was you talking about him reading your novel mm-hmm. and all the notes that he gave. And then you relayed that to your your professor, you know, and and him saying those are really great notes. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are solid notes. And and for me, that was the the last straw. Like, right. OK, I've been hemming and hawing on this. And OK, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. You're going to you're going to invest more into this book you know, and, and get a professional editor in here and have him read the issues. And, and so that's basically what we're doing right now is Mike's going over everything, uh, second shift one through 12. And, uh, he's going to give me some notes. He's going to let me know, you know, I was just like, give me the good and the bad. Let me know what's, what you like about this series, what you don't like about this series, what needs to be improved. And, um, so he's going to be going over stuff this week and, and hopefully I'll get some note back, uh, notes back in the next couple of days and uh, go from there. So um, question, do you guys solely communicate via email, text, or do you guys call FaceTime? When it comes to, well, again, this is, this is one of those where we've been partners in 215 slash Invader for like five or six years. So I generally text back and forth with stuff. So let me put it this way. 80% of the communication is probably via text and email. But the 20% that matters is almost always a phone call. And I think that is okay. a that is a function of me. Because, you know, what Mike and I have worked out as an agreement is, if I got something on my brain that I just don't really feel like turning into a nine text exchange, I call. Yes. If he's available, Absolutely. if he's available, he will pick up. If he is not available, he will call me back when he's ready. Same with Ed. Um, there's times we'll be going back and forth via text. And we're rapid firing the text. And I'm like... This is going to be either an hour-long text conversation or a 15-minute phone call conversation. Yeah. So let's just talk. It's way easier. You can hear the tone, the excitement, the things that are giving someone pause. And that's actually how I prefer to work. Yeah. So, you know, like when working with Mike and he does have all those notes, I wouldn't mind a phone call. I wouldn't mind communicating, Yeah. you know, that way. Um, Just so I can hear his... I don't know, enthusiasm, enthusiasm, lack thereof, yeah. um, stuff where he feels like it's strong, stuff where he feels like it's weak. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, and, and something he said was like, we want to make the best comic possible. Yep. And I love that. Yep. You know, I was just like, give it to me straight. I want it all the good and the bad. I don't I don't want anything candy coated. And, um, you know, I work with a couple of editors, they're friends, mm-hmm. but they're, it's not like they're full time gig or anything. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, a lot of it is, um, and, and you told me there's a difference. Like one of my editors, he has a tendency to just check vocabulary, check the flow. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, seems good. Like, hey, just change this or whatever or fix this dialogue, you know, or, or you know, punctuation. Yeah. And so that's kind of his his effort. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what he does and brings to the table. And uh, I'm looking for a little bit more, you know, and, and, you know, knowing Mike has been in the business quite a while, uh, that was something that was very attractive to me. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's get this done. And, uh, you know, let's get things rolling. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see you guys working together for obvious reasons. You're both my dudes. For me, um, you know, Scott did mention that I, I did a fair amount of brokering this deal, you know, like going back and forth and sort of phrasing it from one person to another. And I think the thing that really helped you is when, because Mike was like, well, what kind of edit does he want? That's what the kind of text he was sending me. And uh, so that's when I floated to you, like, let me, let me see if this is where you are. Is the kind of edit you want, like the 1000 foot view that I asked Mike to give of my novel, where I was saying... Don't worry about line edits. I want you to just tell me, tell me the big stuff. Tell me what's working. Tell me what's not working at a thousand foot level. That's what I care about. I don't care about any of the line edit type stuff. Um, right. and, and then you were like, no, that is exactly what I want. You know, now he'll, he'll throw right. some line edits in for free cause he can't fucking help himself. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, in general, that's not what we're here for. You know what I mean? Like I'm here for you to give it, you know, and, and my specific, um, you know, request that I asked him was don't take notes while you go, just keep a post-it with you and take those notes of the things that you're like, Oh, I got to tell Keith about this. I got to tell Keith about that, etc. And yeah, man, it was super valuable. And it, it really uh, was some 11th hour uh, gloriousness that helped me bring the novel into frame. And I'm um, very happy about it. Again, this, this novel is going to see the light of day one way or another, but I'm proud of it. It's, um, Something I told somebody the other day is that when I first set out to do this novel, you always have this image, this aura of the novel in your head. And even though it's only 0.1% written, you have an aura of it. And if I compare the novel that came out to the aura I had of it when I first thought of it, it's not only the best novel it could be based on that aura, it's actually better. It's actually better than the best version of the novel I thought I could make was. So, hey... That's, that's, that's all I can do. You know, we've talked about this before, too. Like, this is this is really about a personal quest for creativity. That's why I do a lot of this stuff. You hope that commercial tastes do dovetail with what you do and ideally uh, fund it, you know, either a little or a lot. But we'll see. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm super stoked to see you working with Mike. I look forward to hearing the notes as they come through. And uh, something Mike tells me all the time whenever I thank him, which I thank him every single time. He's like, you know, I love doing this. So he that's great. he yeah. loves making good books better, man. That's that's his favorite thing. He loves ushering comics into the world and and giving them the tweaks that that they need or or that they can you know elevate with. So yeah, man, I'm excited for both of you. Yeah, man, it's it's uh it's interesting because you you basically kind of knew what I was looking for. Just I was like, look, just the good and the bad, this and that, and you're like. So basically what he did for my novel and I was like exactly right. Yep. You know, I didn't have to spell it out for you. You you got you got the vibe of what I wanted and yeah man. Yeah man. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that works out really well and uh looking forward to it. Looking forward to hearing back and uh coming back with any notes he's got. Rock on. Rock on. Well, 
that is closing the part of what we did this week. Although it is worth noting that about halfway through my beer, I uh, Scott knows this because he saw me on the video chat as we were doing it. Do it, but I just dumped out the beer. That was enough. It just it, it wasn't feeling the like the correct thing. So I'm still sipping the water that I had, and I cracked open a Coke Zero, and we're just going to ride on with that. And that feels more apropos for what I'm doing. But this week's topic is creating from life and creating, not creating life. That's well, right? That's, that's another podcast for another day. But um, this is creating from life. And Scott, I think this was your idea. So why don't you maybe focus that a little bit more and then we can just see where the discussion takes us. Yeah, it's it's more so drawing and writing from life and life experiences. You know, not necessarily sitting there and drawing a bowl of fruit, but also not necessarily not that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's something I have talked about is drawing from your imagination and your fishbowl, your fishbowl head. Mm-hmm. So you have a basic amount of understanding, whatever your creative platform is, if you're a writer or an artist you have a basic understanding to a certain degree. And the more studying, the more learning you do, the bigger your fishbowl grows, the more information that you have. So, you know, if you're a younger creator out there, I don't want you to feel like, well, if I'm drawing from anything but my imagination, I'm cheating. No, that's that's not the case. Your fishbowl isn't necessarily big enough for the whole scope of the world. And that's why a lot of stuff that comes out onto the page might not look realistic or might not look good. It might look stiff and, and it might need some work. And that's because you might not have a lot of a lot of life experience. And whether that being you going out and doing things on your own, seeing the world um, or going out there and drawing the world, you know, those those are things that you need to do and you need to experience in order for you to grow that knowledge base and um, to be able to construct pages better, uh, figures better, better vehicles, buildings, everything, trees, bushes. You want to go out there and look at, you know, an exercise. And I'm pretty sure I've given you guys this exercise before. Because I do it myself. Go out in your neighborhood. Pick five different bushes to draw. Five different style bushes to draw. I'm not saying to draw every single leaf, every single blade. But I want you to kind of get the form, the gist of it. You know, find different trees. Anything you can get a silhouette of. Like like I said, you're not drawing every single nook and cranny. You can. You can, you know, if that's your technique, that's your style, then go for it. But um, what I want you guys to try is just getting getting the shapes down something you can really sketch in super quickly you can you can gesture into your background and just make it feel different like not have everything built be the same exact bush or tree you know change it up make sure you're trying new things out uh you know it's not as fun and glamorous as character work but it's something that will make your work stand out from other people so yeah i mean i think there's some equivalence there on the writing side too you know, I, I was scribbling down stuff frantically as you were uh, talking because I wanted to make sure I remembered it. And um, the specific thing that came into my head about this idea of creating from life is the more novels you read, the more you realize that certain certain things become apparent over the course of hundreds of novels as you really plow through them. And one of my favorite ones is that Novelists, you know who novelists love as protagonists in their novels? What ty- what type of profession? Writers. Novelists. Yeah, they love them, <laughs> right? right? Because yeah. they're writing what they know. 
you know, which kind of gets into this write what you know idea. Another big one is teachers. And I get the feeling it's because they're teachers, you know. So that's thing number one. Creating from life, at least on the writer's side, it's going to get into this idea of write what you know, which we've talked about before, but is worth going into in a little bit different angle this time. Writing from writing what you know does not mean I want to make a comic about an arc welder, but I'm not an arc welder. So how the fuck do I get around that? I guess I can't write that. No, you can. You can. You can you can research the extent of what you need to know for being an arc welder so you don't sound like a dumbass. And then and then the rest does get into writing what you know. So a lot of times what we think about, the way we mishear or misinterpret this write what you know thing is, well, I guess I can only write a novel or a comic from the perspective of someone who has the exact same job I do or something like that. No, that's not the case. In a lot of ways, that's not what write what you know is about because stories always center around the thing that makes us people and the things that make us tick. And we share so much more. We have so much more in common as people on that level than any career that we will ever have, you know? So when it comes to writing what you know, it comes down to the interpersonal relationships, the friendships, the enemy ships, if you want to call them that, the romantic <laughs> relationships, the day-to-day exchanges, you know? It feels like every novel I read and every comic I read, there's always at least one thing from real life that resonates with me where I'm like, yeah, they get it. That's perfect. It's just perfect. You know, it's a perfect representation of it. And sometimes that is an accurate representation. It's exactly like it happens. Sometimes it's just a human emotion that we, we know we all share. And sometimes it's something a little bit different than that. But, but that's the point of creating from life, AKA in the writer side, maybe writing what you know, you know, using the important part of your life, the important parts of your life experiences, these shared parts that people can relate to that all make us human and make us who we are and make us part of this crazy bonkers experience that we're all going through simultaneously. There's more to say. I mean, we'll, we'll just freeform it from there. But I think that's, for me, a good launching point in terms of talking about writing what you know, creating from life. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's not necessarily the job that matters. It's the people, you know, like what you know is people, you know, your interactions with your siblings, your family, you know, whatever, your spouse. And, um, you know, to write, write those things, right? I don't know, just just relationships. Yeah. And that's something that pull people into stories more. I mean, that's something I realized later in life is a lot of the stuff that I loved about X-Men comic books. It's like, yeah, the powers are super cool. But what I loved was when the characters interacted with each other when they were not fighting. Like, I was fascinated with their relationships. Like, all right, who's hooking up with who? Who doesn't like who? Why don't they like each other? You know, that type of thing. That stuff was so interesting to me. You know, even even when they would play sports, it's like, oh, they play sports like us, but they use their powers, and it's fun, and it's different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're writing what you know just in a bit of a different way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the stuff that really jumped out to me, you know, thinking about the comics that I really do enjoy. It's all the personal relationships that go into those stories. Um, without getting too much into detail, I am on a run right now. Where So something I've always loved doing is reading old, like, medical books or old journals or old newspaper articles from, you know, anywhere from about 1850 to 1920, 
something like that. And when you really get into, I mean, this happens in old literature too. You get into this old literature and yeah, the language might be a little different, but when you really pay attention to what they're saying, it's exactly what we're going through right now. Or you'll read a sentence that was written in like 1904 and you're like, holy shit, that is exactly like it is right now. You know, like things change, but things stay the same. One of my favorite examples, something we can probably all relate to, I'd imagine, is that most people listening to this podcast, I imagine, have um, watched at some point in their life the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, I can't remember who, but one of the characters laments on the fact that Christmas has gotten too commercial. I believe that special aired in 1954. It hasn't changed, man. That that expression is what, you know, of, of 70 years old almost hasn't changed right. one bit, you know, and I bet you if you found something from 1893, you'd probably have something pretty similar to it, too. You know, um, I mean, at some point, it's not the case, right? I don't think people rocking chamber pots in 1385. We're talking about Christmas being too commercial, but <laughs> you can go right. a little too far back, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like political stuff, social issues. You know, you listen to George Carlin. And and you go, all of that stuff is still relevant today. It's yeah. so wild. Yeah. You're, I don't know if you remember, but there's a funny Dave Chappelle skit, and I can't remember which one it is, but they go back through history, and at some point in the character, like, there's... Uh, they fucking up. Yeah, that's it. That's it, right? Like, in, <laughs> in, in like, tw- 10 years ago, like, they read the paper, and it's like, man, George Bush is fucking up. You know, and then you travel right. all the way back, and somebody goes like, man, Abraham Lincoln is fucking up. Yeah, it's great. You knew exactly where I was going with it. Absolutely. Another trick for you artists out there to drawing what you know. Hey, if you got to draw a bedroom, just go in your bedroom, you know, like or if you don't think your bedroom specifically is, you know, grown up enough or, you know, what that character would have a bedroom be like. I don't know if you have a friend that has a bedroom like that. Say, hey, you mind if I take a picture real quick? You know, just nothing creepy. I just need to get some reference as far as how someone like you would lay your room out compared to someone like me. Yeah. You know, just get different personalities and see how their setup is. You know, it's just simple stuff like that. Just get easy reference. And, um, you know, just it, sometimes it's difficult when you're drawing a room. You're like, how do I fill this thing out? What even goes in a room? You don't. Right. It's not something you really think about. So, hey, you have life right there in front of you. Why don't you use it? See, yep. OK, well, they wouldn't necessarily have this stuff in their room so I can minus that from my drawings. But, hey, this lamp looks like something that they would have in there or, you know, this desk, etc. So, yeah, make sure you're using life in those ways as well. Yep. And if and again, if you feel as a writer on the writer side that you just don't, you're out of ideas and you're like, well, what life do I create from? You're surrounded by these people. They're your friends. They're your family. They're, you know, they're the people you might work congressman. with. Congressman. You're congressman. They're, they're, they're the wizard of Oz. They're, they're all of these people that are just part of your everyday life, you know, power forwards for the Dallas Mavericks. You know, all these people, we all know these people. So, so copy that. You know, like that's the beauty of it. I mean, you know, I think what Stan Lee or Stan Lee used to talk about that, that his characters all had aspects of his personality. You have talked about that, that characters all have aspects of your personality. For me, I could almost cherry pick, you know, I could almost go character by character through Kadoja and tell you which character is a function of which part of which person's personality because it starts there. 
And then what you do is you start to glom things on so that it's not quite that person anymore and that they and that right. they couldn't sue you. <laughs> not that they ever would, but <laughs> but you wouldn't want that either, you know, but that's not why you do it. But it's it's that you want an interesting character that stands on itself, you know, and that goes back into a line um, from a while back from the from this book I read called Steal Like an Artist. If you steal from one person, you're a plagiarist. If you steal from 100, you're a genius. So that's, you know, it's about cherry picking those little things. And yes, your imagination is going to be the glue that holds it all together. And sometimes it's the glue that that drives it. Sometimes you're just making this person up entirely. But odds are it's a synthesis of things that have come before. So, you know, you 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 use the life to, to create a basis and then you embellish on that with either more life or you just make it up and you go from there. And, and all of a sudden... Mm -hmm. Those characters become their own people. They're not just, yeah, you have that skeleton, that original idea. Okay, it was loosely based on this person that I know. And they've just become something completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, you start tacking things onto them that is not the same as, let's say, your your wife, you know, or your sister or something like that. You keep adding on to it. And you're like, yeah, but my sister wouldn't do that. But this character would. And that makes them who they are. and, And you set them loose in the world and they do what they do when you put them in certain scenarios. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about there? No, man. Like as far as the art perspective goes, I think that's that's pretty much all I had in mind. Just make sure you're keeping your eyes peeled out there. You know, if you do a lot of public transport or something like that, sit there, sketch some people, you know, in the bus or the train or wherever you are. And, uh, you know, even family members, you know, like even if you don't want to, I mean, it is a good exercise to draw them live, you know, like just try to draw as fast as possible. That helps with your quick tip, uh, quick twitch muscles when it comes to drawing you know you get your gesture drawings out you become a little faster but hey if you want to take your time just just i don't know see if it's cool if you sneak a pic or something like that you know don't be creepy about it actually i uh, disagree i think you should totally be creepy about it i think you should be awkward about it and in fact if you're if you're drawing them and they move you tell them hey motherfucker stay where you are and then don't say anything more just keep on doing it i think that's fine that's all socially acceptable (laughs) (laughs) especially strangers yeah it all checks out. Yeah, it does. So, yeah. It does. Um, okay, so we did it. We, we made it through these first couple parts, and we have some bullshit. We have an opening for bullshit. Do you have bullshit you would like to bring? I have a few things. I have one thing. Why don't you go first, because I have one. Okay, this is fitting. As part of the bringing the bullshit section, I'm throwing it back, Scott. I got two, not one, two pet peeves. Oh, okay. One is a a storytelling pet peeve and one is simply a life pet peeve. Which one would you like first? Well, I know what the storytelling pet peeve, what book it's based off of. So I'm curious about that one. You had mentioned, oh, you know, yeah, we, the one I texted we did a run. Yeah. Yeah, we did a run um, at a comic store. We picked up um, a few books that were similar or I mean the same book. So um, Keith managed to go through one of them and he's got a pet peeve from it. So I'm I curious do. what that is. I do. I, I don't. Did I even say that or did you just put it together that that was where my pet peeve was from? Uh, you asked me, hey, did you read this book? And I said, no, not yet. You're like, hey, I got a pet peeve. Oh, OK. So it wasn't gotcha. hard. OK. The so detective I, work I, was uh, laid out there. That's that's actually pretty Holmesian in terms of uh, Larry Holmesian in terms of detective work. Um, so, yeah, the the issue with that that I had there was. We've talked before about not having dialogue double the action. 
Yes. Just like last episode or two episodes ago. Yeah. This this is a variant on that, okay? And I, I this isn't the first time I've seen it. I've seen it in some other places too. Punctuating action with one word profanity sentences is stupid. Okay? So if like some bad stuff happens and the character simply goes, shit. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like or or F bomb or whatever. Like you're not you're not adding anything. You know, so that that sort of drives me crazy. You know, like I can I can get around it like maybe once, but odds are just having it be nothing but profanity like that. You know, like, okay, look, there's there's a great example of how it works, okay? I believe it's in the first Jurassic Park where the T-Rex is chasing them and Laura Dern's in the back of the thing just going, shit, shit, <laughs> right? Like, right. it's perfect. But you have to understand that that's like, it works because it doesn't happen much. And that wasn't the kind of thing that had happened in a movie much until it was in there. So as one-offs, they're great. Just you can't overdo them, and and this this particular offender had it happen multiple times where it just it feels lazy, you know, like it feels like there's something better you can put there than just a one word profanity sentence like shit, you know. So anyway, that's that's my soapbox for this this episode on that one. Um, there yeah, there are exceptions to the rules, and like I understand what you're saying with the Jurassic Park, and that makes sense because it's essentially built up to it. Yeah, this character is not someone who's going around cussing all the time. So yeah. when she finally does, you're like, oh okay, right mm-hmm. on. Like that makes sense. Um, characters like Hellboy, Mike Mignola does it a lot. Hellboy's catchphrase is crap. Yeah, you know, and that's usually built up by whatever's happening in the story. It's yeah. like okay, he's going through these different scenarios, different scenes, and it's building up, and then something bad happens, and it's like, crap. Or like, or ah, crap. Yeah. Like, one of those two things. And so, yeah, I think you basically have to earn it, or if it's just part of the character's dialogue and he says it every issue, every episode, then, like, I'm more okay with it. Yeah, or, or like, in the first Conan the Barbarian movie, where, like, Krom, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. but now he's reacting to Krom, but, but I still think... So, crap isn't, you know, like, I think, to your point, that's more of a character thing, and while I can't remember offhand, I think it's also intended to happen with comic timing. Because yes. generally yes. when Hellboy says crap... Much like the shit. Yeah, but but the thing about the crap is it's actually understated because it's not a swear word. So if something, if I remember right too, something incredibly bad, like galactically bad, tends to happen in the moments where he says crap. And I think that's yes. why it almost works as a comedic device because he's, you know, he's sort of like PG cussing at something that would warrant, you know, NC-17 swearing. You know, but anyway, right, yeah, I, I digress. So, yeah, anyway, I, I get it. Again, it's just for me, it just hit wrong in terms of that usage. Um, so let's get to the life one. And this this one feels fresh. And I really hope it stops. There seems to be an overusage in the world of people using the word partner in times where it doesn't mean partner. So I got hmm. an email from my pest control people. And they said, hi, Keith, you know, like, thanks for your thanks for, you know, partnering with the pest control company to to do this. We appreciate partnering with you in the future. And it's like, OK, look, <laughs> this is not a partnership. This is a transaction, you know, and, and I know who started this. The corporate workplace started this. How can we best partner on this? You know, and right. uh, and so. You know, look, I don't go to McDonald's and say, hey, let's partner on my order. 
I would like a Big Mac. You know, like, no, it's a transaction. I go in, I order a fucking Big Mac, and they make it for me, and I pay them. That is not a partnership, okay? It's well, a transaction. Well, the partnership, are they paying for half? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and I will say that part of this is driven by something that I have come up every now and then in my personal life, where they may not use the word partnership, but it'll be something like, hey, Keith, can you help me with this? And And when they ask me that, I'm thinking... There is no, I'm not helping you. I'm doing it. That's, right. that's not help. It's, it's me doing what, what part of it's help a, is that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's baby gloving issues. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just like kid gloving stuff. It's just yeah. like, and I, I do that as well. Like sometimes, you know, if you have to give people orders, you want to make it as palatable as possible. You go, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you go run and do this real quick? Yes. And it makes you not seem like an asshole. Yes. Something else in the corporate world that was, it's just so funny when you have to deal with stuff like this and just how stupid and how much of a waste of time that you know they have on their hands. It's yeah. like, you guys really don't have that much to do, uh, do you? <laughs> One of those things was changing a retreat. So if you guys don't know, a retreat is where you and your team or the whole office or whatever you go out, you do some events together, something fun, some kind of activities, right? You're like, oh, you're doing a company retreat. I have heard they do not want to use the word retreat anymore because it sounds like you're running away. They're like, um, let's change the word to advance. Oh, we're going to do a company advance. It's like, what? That doesn't like, are you giving sense. us money you know it's, it's so stupid yes and it's just you know and it's just like you guys need better shit to do yeah the word retreat was not a problem yeah no one found it offensive right everyone's getting a little too sensitive yes it's like it's a retreat everyone knows what that means when you say it and right. now you're trying to change it you know what 50 years down the line right <laughs> like you know and it's just it's silly it's just silly nonsense that right. people need to not waste their time with yes and again unfortunately this partner partnership thing has now bled into you know like everybody so if you're out there and you hear it stop it and if you and if <laughs> like stop someone else from doing it and if you're about to do it you stop that too okay do you do stop, your stop being part of the problem yeah do your boy keith be part of the solid. solution do your boy keith is solid exactly um so since you have one thing i'm gonna do one more and then i'll turn it over to you and then i have one more after that as we move all right sounds stuff. good hey i finally started the wire oh look at you my wife kind of bamboozled me though because i thought i thought we had a deal and the deal was we were gonna watch some show i can't remember what it was oh it was stranger things because i was gonna watch stranger things and i said Okay, look, I want to watch Stranger Things season four, but let's make a deal, okay? I'll watch Stranger Things front to back if you agree to watch the first episode of The Wire with me. She's like, no problem. We watch all Stranger Things. A week or two goes by. I'm like, hey, when are you going to be able to you know, sit down and watch The Wire? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it soon. And then there's finally time, and I'm like, okay, so are we going to watch The Wire? She's like, oh, I, I don't really want to watch that. I'm not in the mood for it. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, Shanghai, buddy. Okay, then. So, so then I just, I just started fucking playing it. Like, fine, I'm not waiting for you. You know, like, it's all good. And it's just, it's not her thing. But uh, what I ended right. up doing in that first run was watching the first four episodes. And look, it is very good. It's, it's, it's a good kind of good in a way because it's good enough to make me want to watch more. But it's not so good where I want to postpone my life to watch more. So I watched those right. four episodes about a week and a half ago, and I haven't been in front of a TV and or had the compulsion to watch more since it'll be there and I'll watch more of it. 
It's one of those things where it's it was so good at the moment. Yeah. In that time frame, it's uh, from what I have heard. I have not watched it. That mm-hmm. it's a bit dated. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that's where the disconnect is. Where everyone that loved it so much, they're watching it as it was coming out. Yeah. So all of that stuff was relevant at that time. Yeah. And then if you had already seen it and you go back and revisit it, you you have that nostalgia because you were there. You remember watching it. Yeah. And then um, you know, so you get those same dopamine hits. But if you are coming to it fresh and there's been so much stuff that has come out since then that have has been influenced by The Wire, yeah. then you're just kind of like, yeah, this is basically, you know, kind of like this show, but yeah. it's older. You exactly. Know I mean? exactly. And, and I mean, I think there's there's two. I have two thoughts on that. One, to your point. Well, we're going to we're going to keep your point separate for a second. I think one of the things about The Wire is that it's an old kind of show. You know, there's like four seasons and it was your typical 15 to 20 episodes a season, about a 50 minute episode. It burns slow. It reminds me of more of like a very, very good NYPD blue. That's what it is. It's it's old school television before television changed to fit the streaming era and before people really looked to have those slam bang cliffhangers that where you were like shit i gotta watch the next episode now right that's not how these things work they worked to season finales and their job was to keep you tuned in week after week you know for a long time not for a short period of time like today's so i think for one it's sort of a relic of the way tv used to be i mean season one is from 20 2002 i think it's 20 years old right now so right. that's thing number one and of course i already forgot thing number two i'll have to edit this well part the, out again. it's interesting because when um i remember like when jessica jones and daredevil luke cage when that stuff was coming out there was some complaints like oh this season was one episode or two episodes too long this didn't have to do anything with the main storyline and for me being an old school tv watcher i was like you like you like less shows you like you don't like more stories it's like yeah okay so every comic has to be part of the continuum you don't like one shots and it's just like that's what that's what these shows are they're translations from comics not exact one-to-one but you do have episodes that won't necessarily have to deal with the rest of the storyline it doesn't make them any less of an episode you can enjoy it for it being its own thing um and it's funny listening to you talk about like yeah these are these shows were 22 episodes or you know Mm-hmm. 20 to 25 right and um people are complaining about 13 yeah it's like guys like it's half of what it used to be like it's okay yeah yeah exactly exactly so i mean again i forgot the second thing could just be some degree of like fog brain <laughs> maybe i have covid i don't think i have covid but i'll blame it on that because <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> right not enough. the alcohol um but anyway but the thing I actually wanted to mention is there's something about The Wire that's excellent, which is I think it really masters the small character moments. For Mm. four episodes in, what I like is that just when you think you understand a character, they throw something different about that character, totally contrary to who they are. Like there's this one character who through the first chunk of episodes is a big time like cop brawler. You know, like let's go down there and bust some heads and show them old school cops how we get answers, that kind of shit, right? And then there's an episode where they're searching like a suspected drug dealer's house and they they knock on the door or whatever, and the mom's there just knitting. And uh, they barge upstairs. He's not there. You just kind of hear him off, whatever. And then that tough guy cop comes down and has this conversation with the mom. And like, hey, look, we're sorry for coming in here, okay? 
we're doing all this, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden he just gets real soft and genuine and really apologetic to the mom. Like, I don't mean to disrespect your house. You know, hey, if you have anything, you let us know. And then he walks back outside and his partner says something like, what the hell was that all about? He was just, and he just, and, and he, you know, what he could have said is, oh, I was just putting on an act for her. You know, like that, that could have been one way the character went, but the character was like, oh, I mean, I was just talking. Like that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, the wire has those kind of things where just when you think you figured out a character, you haven't. And I, I can see why that's this amazing hook that makes people love it so much after all these years, because I get the feeling that all the characters are that complex. And uh, and that's what's cool about it when you spend more screen time with them. Right on. Um, OK, so mine is actually a recommendation. And I don't know if I've recommended this before. It uh, is a book. It's from Vault Comics. It's called Hard Eyes. It's by Dennis Hopeless and Victor Ibanez. Colors by Addison Duke and letters by Simon Boland. Um, I mentioned this to you before. I sent you a picture of the covers. Yep, I bought one and I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was right up your alley. I had read number one and I hadn't read number two yet. And number two has a killer cover. It's so awesome. I had it on my Instagram a couple of days ago or it's, it's still on there today. But, you know, you're not going to see that because this is coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, but it's it's an amazing cover. Check it out. Just Google it. It's called Heart Eyes uh, by Vault Comics. And it is a very weird book. And I just read issue two and I loved it and I couldn't recommend it more. Uh, Vault has some like sneaky good books that I just really enjoy. Mm -hmm. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I'm a big Vault fan. They have a couple. They have a cool one called. Oh, God, it's 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 their Lovecraftiest book they've ever done. It's called like a black sky full of stars or something like that. Just very slow burn, slow burn Lovecraft stuff. But it's quite good. Yeah, this is very Lovecrafty as well. Yeah, for sure. In its own way. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, so that brings us to my final thing, which is. I it's weird, right? I didn't expect only one of these things to come back, but something is killing the children. Number 10, my variant cover oh, right did on. in fact Hell come yeah. back. So signed by Tinian and by, I believe it's worth or Deladera in nice silver ink. It's this really killer variant cover. If you, if you care, you can look up the variant cover to number 10 and it's just this amazing piece of art. And it actually came back as a 9.8. I was really surprised. Oh yeah. So yeah, man, that was, that was pretty sweet. And again, it's, it's great to, Great to have this back. I still have one out to them. So that must mean that they didn't quite get the other artist in-house to do that signing yet. But when they do, I imagine I'll get the other book in the mail, too. Right on, man. Oh, yeah, it looks great. Um, yeah. I, I missed the boat on that. You told me about it on the air, and I was like, I got to do that. And then, of course, I'm a space cadet and just forgot. So uh, jealous of that, but I'm sure that won't be the first time it's going to happen. I'm sure it'll come back around. Yeah, yeah. And guess what, Scott? We have one more thing to talk about. Uh oh, what's that? What, what we have to talk about, I think, is that the people. Oh, I think I have an idea. The people that don't. I will. I will take my time on this. The people that don't like us talking about basketball. I think they're going. I think you guys are going to have a very good year. And here's why: <laughs> because as we record this, the Lakers are a hot bucket of shit, and the 76ers are a hot bucket of shit. It's so weird. And and like, here's what's worse. People, people from towns, people that aren't like Yankees fans or Lakers fans or Celtics fans, people in all those other towns of all those other sports understand what I'm saying, which is I ain't here for the championships, man. You know, like in my entire sports rooting life, I have had three champions that I consider like my teams, right? I had the, the Lajuan Rockets, 
the 2008 Phillies and the 2016-17 Eagles, basically. Those are the only teams of mine that have ever won a title. But that's fine. Because that's not what I mean. Like, it's fun. I mean, you know, I have my fun little replica Eagles Super Bowl ring right here at my desk because, of course, I do. And it's neat. It's it's a fun way of, like, talking junk and all that stuff. But, like, it's kind of not why I'm here. I'm here because sports are entertaining to me. And I like right. watching them for entertainment value, which brings us to this year's 76ers. They are not entertaining. <laughs> they are they are a slog to watch. And as, hey, I hope that when this airs, they are, they're better. But... I get the feeling they'll be able to fix the fact that they suck, but I don't think they're going to be able to fix the fact that I don't want to watch them right now. They're like slow and methodical and they're just not enjoyable. And I know like, you know, every Laker fan I know is, you know, like the Lakers are depressing. They're, they're bad. Yes. They're bad and they're boring, you know, and they're, de- you know, they're just depressing. And it's like, who wants to watch that stuff? You know, I had the option of watching basketball last night and I decided that I would rather prune my iTunes and listen to funk for two hours. <laughs> you know, like that's where I am right now. I don't know if this is a coincidence, but I was watching the end of the Lakers game when my stitch busted and I was bleeding it out, uh, bleeding everywhere. Mm. I don't know if that's a coincidence. <laughs> But it's it, but it's simply a fact of what happened. It was just, I think just there was hashtag fu- facts only, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, man. It was like five minutes left in the game. They're eating bags of dicks, and I'm like, they're not coming back. And then my girlfriend's like, you're bleeding everywhere. And so, <laughs> if you want to see photos of that, I'll send it to you. Um, there's a there's a great line that Jerry Glanville, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, gave one time. They were they were uh, playing the Los Angeles Rams, and they got their asses kicked, and after the game, the toilets in their bathroom backed up. And so they asked Jerry Glanville about it later. And they said, like, what were your thoughts on the game and what happened afterwards? He was like, well, we lost by 35 to the Rams. And now we're standing here in our own urine. It's appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway. Yeah, man. The the, um, Lakers... Look, I love good defense. I watch basketball a little bit different than other people. I like it, it's much it's like everything I do, I take everything apart. Like I when I was watching pro wrestling as a kid, I was watching the people get hit and sell just as much as I was watching the cool moves. I was watching every aspect of it. So when I watch basketball, I'm watching the defensive end as well. I'm a big fan of defensive-minded teams. Now, uh Ham, Darvin Ham, he's running defensive sets. But that's it. He runs no offensive sets. I like his defense. The team seems to be putting a lot of effort in on that end. Um, some of the players are not as good as as others. So it's just like, okay, there's some issues there still. But the offense is garbage. They run no sets. It's like everything is ISO. There doesn't seem to be a plan ever. And it's just not fun to watch on the offensive end of things. And... Um, you know, it's just like, okay, well, we don't have Malik Monk this year, so he was like the one bright, shining, you know, piece from last year. And I'm thinking maybe Lonnie Walker, Lonnie Skywalker, will be my guy this mm-hmm. year. And, you know, he's not a great three-point shooter, but he's still taking about six a game, and I wish he would stop. You know, it's just like, no, man, just keep driving to the rim. And, like, that's that's the problem with this Lakers team. Everyone is shooting threes. Everyone that shouldn't be shooting threes are the ones shooting the most threes. And it's just, it's infuriating. And, and um, you know, it's I'm almost to the point where it's just like, just blow it up, sell everyone for parts, get as many picks as you can. Because, honestly, being such a, a lifelong Laker fan, I've seen a lot of championships. I'm here for the championships, but I'm also here 
there's something about homegrown talent that I just simply love. So those years, you know, when Kobe was in year 20 and you had guys like D'Lo and Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson, I liked those years. They were really fun for me because I was like, I wonder if any of these guys will be here like when I'm old. Will they still be on the Lakers? Will they be will one of these guys not necessarily be the next Kobe? Not that's not what I'm saying. Will they be the the guy that sticks with the team their entire career like a James Worthy, a Magic Johnson, a Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant? Like I'm super interested in that. I love I love stuff like that. So, you know, yes, I do want the championships, but I'm definitely here for the love of the game as well. Just watching characters develop and get better over time, like that's very fascinating to me. So, um, you know, would I object to those guys getting sold off for parts? No, not really. Um, w- would I be cool with them trading those two first-round draft picks for Buddy Heald and Turner? Yeah, I'm cool with that, too. I'm kind of like, go with the flow right now. I'm like, just do whatever y'all got to right. do. Like, I understand the one argument for them not making that trade right now is potentially one of these teams that is not tanking right now for Victor Wambayana, they might be tanking in the middle of the sure. season. And so what if Damian Lillard does come up as a trade asset and, and, you know, we can give them whoever we have to give them in order to get him um, because other teams don't have enough. Like I'm, I'm interested in that as well. So it's kind of like all over the place because I know Buddy and Turner, they're not going to be the thing that saves us this year. We're not going to win a championship, even if we do trade for them. Yeah. Westbrook is terrible to watch. And I hate that they have to talk about him every day on, you know, sports media, but it is what it is, and you just kind of deal with it, or you don't. You know, like there was the Lakers lost Game Four, their fourth in a row to the Nuggets. I didn't feel like watching, you know, the normal pundits talk shit about the team. It's just like, yeah, I get it, we suck. Mm-hmm. I'm like over it, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for me, again, this will probably end up being one of the few times we talk basketball. I just I see this right because I'm making a bold prediction about myself, which is this is the least amount of basketball I am going to watch since at least 2008. When I first moved here, I watched a ton of basketball because I was single, and every year since I've watched a ton of basketball. But when you combine the fact that a lot of the good teams, I don't enjoy watching a lot of the good teams, I sure as shit don't enjoy watching my own team. And by January, a fourth of all the teams are going to be openly tanking for what's supposed to be the greatest prospect ever. That just adds up to a season I don't really care about. And uh, yeah, it looks like I'm going to get free time back and be able to watch a lot more Kung Fu films and, uh, and read some more comics and do shit like that. You know? There's so, a couple of teams there that I feel like you would want to watch still. Number one, yeah, not, not worth spending 30 bucks a month for though. No, know? no. Uh, Pelicans, Pelicans. Uh, they seem interesting and fun. And, not really that that interested in it, but I would feel like the Hawks would be something you might be interested in as well. Like, I think they're going to take a little bit of a step this year. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. I think I'm good on everybody. Yeah. Well, and I watch the Warriors, of course. The Lakers yeah. and the Warriors are my team. Like, so. so, the yeah, the answers are uh, Memphis, Portland, Detroit, and Orlando. Those are the four teams I'm actually interested in watching um, okay. for, for various reasons. But, I mean... I, I'm not. I'm not interested in paying for league passport. For uh, I'm not interested in paying for league pass for the privilege. Um, and I again, I really enjoyed myself just not caring about basketball last night and listening to music and doing some other stuff. You know, so we'll see where it I all ends it. up. But yeah, man. Hey, man. Maybe maybe it's time. Maybe it's maybe this year is the time for something new, and we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. with with that. 
You can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I am posting eh, four or five times a week on there, and I'm doing all kinds of things, pictures, the properties that I write, and uh, some other things as well, quotes, you know, podcast shouts, etc. But if you uh, want way fewer posts and just like Giant Monsters, you can hit me up at at Kidoja Kaiju on Instagram as well. That is all one word. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and then Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Um, I post, you know, well, in December I was posting every day, but I would say I post every one, one to three days, something like that. Yeah. So KeithRFoster.com is my site. There's a store there. I have a uh, potentially cool announcement that I'm going to be doing. I What I could have done is I could have taken a chance and announced it now knowing it's not going to air for a little while but I just want it to happen in real time and then we're going to go from there but there's some cool things brewing for both Invader Comics and for me so uh, we'll see where that all ends up and I will share it with you as it happens but in the meantime KeithRFoster.com you can read about the properties that I write and you can buy them at the store right on and you can find my book, Second Shift, Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Milisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, all at AccidentalAliens.com. We also have some anthology series there. The Accidental Alien Anthologies 2018-19 are still available in physical copies. You can get digitals of 2017 as well. And uh, Tales from the Mothership, that is another anthology series we do. Um, so check those all out at AccidentalAliens.com. If you hear any noise, ain't, ain't just me and the boys. It's the Mothership Connection by Parliament. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. I almost messed that up because, you know, again, cold, brain, I don't know what. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so, hey, what, do we, what else do we have to talk about? Here, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to mention two things. Number one, this is a real headline of an article that's on the internet, and it came out today. The 76ers defense is hot junk. That's actually a headline of a real article on the internet and everything. That's number two. So I say that because that is a five-star headline. And speaking of five stars, you should give them to us on both Apple iTunes and Spotify. I just can't quit shouting out you needing to give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. We know you're out there. We know you want to show us the love. So go do it. Really. We don't mind at all. We even encourage it. (laughs) And uh, if you want to... Have us talk about something we haven't talked about before. We've talked about a little bit. Hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. We had a listener uh, do so recently, so we're actually going to use a couple of those and uh, talk about those in some of the episodes moving forward. So if you have something that you want us to talk about us, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Hey, we did it. We, we made it. This is it. We're at the Fourth end. Best cup of coffee. The music is queuing up, and we're going to hit peak volume in a second. So you know the deal, man. Uh, hey, all, all you, everyone out there, happy comic making, happy creating, and we will see you next week. Yeah, yeah. Put your ass into it.